to bring our speaker here this morning, Tom Perez. Tom is one of those men who's been involved in the fight. Tom was a pastor for 30 years and then started something called the Epic Project, which is an attempt to bring men to the fight to end the demand for prostituted persons. Uh, Tom's done some great things, and one of the great innovations he's done is get men to be on the front lines taking phone calls, and he'll explain this to you in a little bit. But what those phone calls have done have succeeded in making nearly 45,000 sex buyer contract contacts in three years. Men are calling thinking they're going to get an escort service, and they get the other men on the line who work with, with, with Tom. He'll explain that more in a second. Since 2016, this model's been replicated in six cities across the country. And Tom's been so successful with this that next month, he's been asked to speak in front of the United Nations in New York. So we've got a very special guest with us this morning. I'm glad you guys are here to hear him. Tom would like to start with a video, and then he'll come up. And when he comes up, guys, please give him a warm welcome. Yellow shirts, someone will sell yellow shirts. If they want a bacon-wrapped donut, someone will sell them a bacon-wrapped donut. In the end, you can tell what a culture wants by what it's willing to sell. And what's for sale these days is a big problem. See, experts estimate there are at least 100,000 children under age 18 bought and sold for sex in the USA. That's enough kids being raped each year to fill Yankee Stadium twice. That means that thousands of men are demanding kids for sex, and thousands of others are profiting from supplying that demand. So what do we do? Our gut reaction is to find a way to help these girls and find a way to punish these men, right? But all this does is temporarily dent the supply. There's a bigger issue at work here, and every man shares some of the blame. That supply is fueled by a demand, a demand with one clear characteristic, more. See, sexual experiences are naturally addictive. Each one creates a desire for another. Unchecked, it seeks for something new, something bigger, something stronger to give us the same thrill. The men demanding girls for sex, they didn't come from nowhere. Maybe they came from the strip club that says, it's okay if you look at me as long as you pay for it. Maybe they came from dissatisfaction with porn that says, my body is here for your delight. This demand for more has become our new reality, and the most vulnerable among us have been the hardest hit. To put simply, the demand of men has created this story, and better men have to tell a different one. That's the goal of the EPIC project. We want to raise up 100,000 men, one for each child, who will tell a different story, and who will stand together to tell a different and honorable story about sex. This is way more than just putting pimps behind bars. This is more than rescuing kids. This is a whole groundswell of men who are willing to stand and say to this culture of sex for hire in all its forms, no more. This is a fight that's worthy of its name. Epicproject.org. Good morning, brothers. It's good to be here. There was sun earlier, and I was so excited. Is it gone now? Yeah, back to winter. Um, one second. So much technology. I miss the chalkboard in the locker room. It was so much easier. So much easier. Um, I am really excited to be here this morning, um, partly to just speak to brothers in the church, um, but uh, also just to realize that this is a large gathering of men. I, if it's any encouragement, and I think there will be a lot more of encouragement for you this morning, but um, this is um, this is a large gathering of men that's come together to talk about this issue. I speak all over the country. Uh, and it's not unusual. I've been in situations where there were a room full of 350 people to learn about trafficking and to see about 15 guys there. Uh, so like what Ron was saying is, uh, has been true in the past, but it's encouraging to see a lot more, uh, a lot more men involved uh, and just willing to learn. Um, I want to let you in on a secret. Uh, I don't get invited to parties. 
very often anymore. Because, you know, you go to a party and invariably they're going to say, and, and what do you do for a living? And as soon as I start talking about that, you know, you might as well have, you know, thrown up in the nachos at that point. So um, my hope going forward is that you will meet other people uh, that are a part of this movement, that are leading in this movement. And so when you do, it's just a little personal favor I'm going to ask of you. When you meet those people, invite them to a party and promise them that they don't have to talk about work. Just they can come and just enjoy it because it's hard work and, and you'll see why. Um, when it first dawned on me, uh, what was going on, I, I had a, uh, a, a, just this visceral response. Um, and, and there's two images as I've, as I've thought about this over the years that really define, uh, one is the, the wrong way to engage this issue as a man. And, and the other is the right way. And, and, and so let me, um, let me just share that with you, and let me explain this to you. About six years ago, um, I, I sat down with a woman locally here who works on the front lines with victims, uh, more precisely with, with underage, with, with children and youth that are being trafficked. And she was very um, measured and very professional and very clinical in describing to me what, what happens to these kids. And at one point, I said, okay, just, you know, she was using all the terminology and and it was very clinical, and I, and I just said, just stop. Okay, so you're telling me that men are paying to rape children and others are profiting from that transaction. Is that what you're saying to me? And she goes, yes. And so the, the, that, the image on the right is what went off in my head. I'm like, you're, this is what you're telling me? Strap on the kilt, grab the sword, let's go. Let's start lopping off heads, right? I mean, that's, that's what every man, when you learn about this, that's what we want to do. We want to go, um, go after the bad guys. Uh, I, I, call it, I call it the Braveheart myth. Um, and it's, it's a very normal response when men first learn about this issue. It's like, we want to go get the bad guys. Problem is, the bad guys look just like us. And I'll explain a little bit more about what that looks like. Um, but it's, it's this, this brave heart myth. Um, it, it's very normal. I, actually, I would say it's, it's a normal and acceptable part of learning and growing in, in figuring out as a man what you can do on this issue. So you're going to feel that anger. You're going to feel that, that desire to want to just rush in and save the day because that's how men are wired. But the image on the left is a, is a better uh, metaphor or, or posture, if you will, for how men need to engage us. I'm just curious if anybody knows this guy. I've done this so often. Nobody knows this guy. Andy McCollum. He's a friend of mine. He has a Super Bowl ring. He's one of the best to ever play the position that he played in the NFL. No one knows his name. He is, um, by his own definition, he's a fat guy. And he's proud of it, proud of being a fat guy. What I would say, as a man, and this is just man-to-man, if you want to figure out a way forward on this issue and, and do something, you need to become a fat guy. Let me explain that just a little bit more. This is, this is a, an offensive lineman. Offensive linemen, by definition, if they do their job, like Andy did. No one ever knows their name, right? Because where does the camera go? You know, during the game, it's always on Tom Brady, you know, or, or, or any quarterback or, or wide receiver. But it, these are the guys in the trenches. If they do their job, no one ever knows their name. And I think that is how men can make a difference in this fight. Let me, let me put a little finer point on that. When I say anonymous fat guy, I'm talking about a willingness to be faithful, available, and teachable. So let me unpack this. You need to be faithful, available, and teachable. You need to just be willing to show up, and you've already done that. You're here this morning. You just put yourself in a situation where you can um, absorb and, and learn about what's going on. Make yourself available. Make it a priority. And then the last one is just teachable. Be willing to learn, Ron was talking earlier when, when we were in the other room about, about discipleship, and it's, it's just that. 
This really is a discipleship, uh, uh, it's a discipleship move. Back to my slides here. Um, so, so the guy on the right, that's normal. That's, that's, the, the, that's what happens inside. But going forward, we need to be an army of fat guys. All right? So there are questions that need to be asked as, as we dive into this. Um, and I want to just walk through some of them. Probably not all of them, and I want to leave some time at the end because I, I'm, I'm guessing I'm probably going to leave you with more questions than answers, which is usually what happens when we first do this. But let me look at, let's look at a, some, some critical questions. The first one, it's the starting point for our conversation this morning. What, is our, what does our faith demand? As men who follow Jesus, what would he have us do? How would he have us wade into this, this struggle, this, this fight? What does our faith demand? Make sure I'm going to advance these slides here. Um, let, me give you, let me give you some, some biblical bookends um, with which you can just think about this. Um, hang on a second. Micah 6, 8. These are, these are a couple of passages that you guys probably are very familiar with. He has shown you, O oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Raise your hand if you've heard that verse before. Yeah, it's pretty common. I want to call your attention just to one aspect of this, and we don't have time to unpack all of the nuances of here, but I want you to notice the sequence in the second part of this verse. God is, he said, he's shown you what is good. I've already laid that out, scripture is saying. Um, Act justly, love mercy, walk humbly. He's talking about an action. He's talking about compassion or an emotional connection to that action. And then to walk humbly in my, the way I see this verse and the way I understand it, it is speaking to a a mindset. So an intellectual uh, posture, if you will. Normally, we think about intellect, emotion, and will. So we think something, we have an emotional connection to it, and then we act, right? This turns it completely on its head. Scripture tells us to act, do something. And it's just just a very uh, fascinating change in the way we normally think about this. And the second uh, bookend is James 127. James says, pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. Raise your hand if you've heard that one before. Pure, and, uh, pure religion, the real stuff, is composed of this kind of, of, of activity and this kind of approach to life. Um, I want to call your attention to one aspect there. He says, widows and orphans. It's by definition a class of vulnerable people. And you could put all kinds of vulnerability into that category. So James says to look after widows and orphans. I want to tell you that there is no more vulnerable class of people than the precious young people. And, and, and even adult women that are being victimized. When I first started in this, I, I, um, it became very quickly a real academic kind of exercise, it just kind of the way I'm wired. I, just, I read a lot, read research, read books, went to meetings, and it be, I became somewhat separated from the, the actual experience. And, and uh, a gal that worked with victims called me one day, and, and we actually had office space, um, her organization and mine, in the same building. And she goes, hey, um, I, I want to um, bring someone down uh, to meet you. It was a victim that we had helped um, get her kind of out of her situation and into a safe place. And she was literally going to the airport to get her out of state. And she goes, I, she wanted to come and meet you. And so my friend Esther came, knocked on the door. She walked in, and, and behind her was this tiny little girl. She was 19 at the time, but if you looked at her, she was all of 14. I mean, she was just this tiny little thing. It was in the summer, 
and she was wearing just a summer dress and kind of bare shoulders. And, and the first thing I noticed when this precious little girl walked in was on her, would have been her left shoulder, was a bruise the size of my hand, the shape of my hand. And it just got to me. And Esther said, would you, would you pray for her? And so I did, and I mumbled something. Um, and then they left. And then I went out in the stairwell and just broke down and sobbed because it became very real. To look after widows and orphans in their distress is to have a mindset towards caring for, protecting, advocating, looking out for the vulnerable people in our community. And there's no one more vulnerable than the victims. So I want to just give these two uh, scriptures to you as bookends, and they're just that because there's a whole library of scripture in between that speaks to these matters of justice and looking after the oppressed and taking care of the vulnerable. Read the Psalms. Read the prophets. It's, it's all there. And then just look at how Jesus conducted himself. It's not hard to find a real consistent theme throughout scripture, but let these serve as bookends. I want to call your attention next to a, um, to a quote by Ravi Zacharias, a uh, very, um, very astute, very articulate author. He says this. It's a little lengthy, but bear with me. But it will not do to just bemoan the reality or condemn the evil. Much more is required of us as thinking people before we can get past the symptoms and diagnose how this has all come about. Behind an act is a thought or a belief and those thoughts unleashed antisocial behavior. Yet seldom are these thoughts and beliefs scrutinized. When that is done, we may find out that though we may play with sinister ideas in our imagination and artistic escapes, we cannot do the same with life. The ideas we popularly espouse are reshaping our culture, redefining our destiny, and are at the heart of the rampant evil that we now witness. They are ideas, therefore, that must be seriously questioned, or we will find ourselves in some remorse-filled future wondering how this all happened. And so he's calling us to look at the ideas that create the reality that we live in. And if we don't, if we don't, as he says, um, if, we, if we don't call these into question, we're going we're gonna to find ourselves looking back going, how in the world did we get here? And I want to tell you, I think we're already there. And I want, to, I want to tweak his statement a little bit. And I want to challenge you to think about the ideas that we fail to confront. And there is a mindset in our culture that for generations we have been reluctant to stand up against. And I'm speaking now very directly to the church we have failed to confront the ideas that drive, the, the mindset that drives this industry that is destroying the lives of people all around our community, all around the world. Now, that sounds bleak, I admit. But if we fail, and this is, this is actually what drew me out of full-time local church ministry into this work, um, if we fail as the church to address this issue on a large scale with manpower. I feel, I, my fear is the church will forfeit an opportunity to advance the gospel that we might not ever see again in our lifetime. There's a lot at stake on this issue with regards to the church. If we fail to confront this, we're going to find ourselves in a remorse-filled future wondering how it happened, and that's kind of where we are. Now, that's bleak, I admit, but there is hope. So let me talk a little bit about the reality here in the Portland metro area. This includes Washington County, Clackamas County, Multnomah County, Clark County. So everything I'm talking about really is in reference to this entire metropolitan area. This is just a snapshot. I could stand up here all morning and give you more data, but I'm just going to give you a snapshot. We know for a fact that on any given week in the Portland metro area, there are at least 11,000 attempts to buy online sex, specifically with 
victims who are marketed, if you will, as young or possibly underage. 11,000 attempts. That's probably very conservative. But we know there's a lot of people out there looking to buy young women for sex. That's just the sobering reality of what's going on here. The victims come from every community you could think of. They come from urban areas. They, they are disproportionately vulnerable when you're talking about homeless youth. So when you, see, when you see young women especially, but even young boys on the streets around here, um, I don't know how the spirit moves you when you encounter those, those people, but what I would ask you to do when you see them next time, pray for their protection because they are disproportionately um, represented in the victim population as are um, young women of color, young men of color minorities as well they are um they are extremely vulnerable but don't kid yourself they come from nice places nice uh, affluent communities as as well as from the homeless uh, you know areas around portland the sexual assault resource center which is um one of the one of the leading victim advocacy organizations in this area uh, headquartered in actually in washington county they're probably one of the best in the country. Um, they have an entire unit devoted specifically to working with minor victims of sex trafficking, and they work all year long with a caseload that numbers into the hundreds. And they will tell you that for every kid they've identified, that kid is connected to two or three others that they haven't even connected with yet. So it's a sizable population. I know from our work with the Portland Police Bureau that dozens and dozens of men are arrested every month uh, in stings, uh, targeting the buyers, and they are they are sent to what's um, called John School. No offense to those of you in here named John, uh, but it's a it's a court ordered uh, diversion program, and it's packed. I regularly speak at that event too, which is not nearly as enjoyable as being here with you this morning. Um, <clears throat> Our work has allowed us to engage directly um, thousands of buyers. I'll talk a little bit more about that uh, in just a bit. But um, we've intercepted school teachers. Uh, we have talked with small business owners. Uh, we've we've talked with grandfathers. So you have the you have a, a really um, sizable population of victims, and you have the buyers that are doing the victimization. Um, they're just like everyone in this room. If I look out across this audience, this is, demographically speaking, who the buyers are. See why I don't get invited to parties. So, so, so what do we do about this? Um, there is a real, um, there's another myth that persists in this, in this space, and it, I, I call it the, the Avengers Myth, And it kind of stands in the way of men actually getting involved proactively and constructively in this work. And, and this is the idea that, you know, well, the experts will fix it. You know, that's what we have police for. That's why we have politicians. They just have to write uh, better laws, you know, um, or a celebrity. Somebody with a big platform can come and just, you know, talk about it. And surely if you just tell people what's going on, people will stop. It's a myth. There are no freakish superheroes coming to save the day. It's up to us. It's up to us as men, guys like us. The battle will be won or lost by people like us, by men, and I would say men in the church. So where do we start? Where do we, where do we go from here? Um, I want to I want to give you a list of things to start with, and and um, specifically what I'm what I'm telling you to do right now is do your homework. Do your homework. What I mean by that is study. You do this with anything else, right? How many of you have ever wa found a YouTube video to help you figure out how to fix something? Raise your hand. How many of you have ever uh, have, a, have a repair manual for your car on the shelf in your garage? Raise your hand. Okay, it's the same thing. You got to go to school. So do your homework. I want to recommend to you several organizations that, that 
that do a, a better job than almost anybody else in, in helping get you up to speed on this issue. The Polaris Project, a group called THORN, T-H-O-R-N. Uh, it's already been mentioned, Shared Hope International. They're located here locally. Uh, do some of the best work on, on just awareness and just understanding the whole scope of the issue. They do so many things, uh, but the uh, shared hope is one. The next one is Demand Abolition, a group that we partner with out of, out of Boston, and they specifically are focused on understanding what, how the demand drives this market. The Rebecca Bender Initiative, if you want to get a feel for what happens to victims, to survivors, Rebecca Bender is the place to go, and she is herself a survivor and is an amazing leader and a sister in Christ, so I would, I would recommend her highly. And then as far as reading, anything written by Ken Weitzma, W-Y-T-S-M-A, or Gary Haugen from the International Justice Mission. So study. Next, listen to people, and I'm going to give you this list in order. Listen to survivors. Next, listen to law enforcement. Next, listen to victim advocates, and then everybody else. But pay attention to what the survivors are saying about this experience. That is your best source for understanding as, as quickly as you can what this world is all about. Then think about it. Understand that this is a systemic problem in our culture. It's not simply a matter of getting the homeless kids off the street. It's not simply a matter of arresting the pimps. It's not simply a matter of, you know, tougher laws or, or, or any single silver bullet solution. This reaches into the, uh, all aspects of our culture. It's a systemic issue. Then pray, and I am putting these in order. Do your homework, fill your mind and your heart, allow yourself to feel the weight of, of how difficult this is and then let that draw you to the cross, pray and ask God what you should do and then act. You know, in, in, uh, I think in James 1, it says, you know, if you lack wisdom, ask God and he'll give it to you and don't question it, don't doubt it. So this is kind of what I'm talking about here. Once you've gone to school, once you've done your homework, if you dare to pray and ask God what he wants you to do, he will show you. So do it. To do all of that and then to fail to act is like being content to wear the uniform but not get in the game. Don't, don't be that guy. Don't be that guy. Now, you may be thinking to yourself, well, why don't we just, you know, go get the bad guys, like I said, lock them up. Um, you know, surely uh, that will solve the problem. And this is, how, this is exactly how I thought when I first got into this years ago. Why don't we just arrest the bad guys? And you know what I heard from the leading law enforcement experts, including some in this, in this area? So we can't arrest our way out of it. It's too big. Portland Police Bureau has a sex trafficking unit that's focused specifically on this issue. They have two officers devoted to this. You think about that. In a market where there's 11 to probably 20,000 attempts to buy sex online every week, you have two people devoted to that. We can't arrest our way out of it. It's, it's not, it's not going to happen. We have, we have legislators, you know, so the next thought is, well, why don't we, you know, why don't we just tougher laws? That's, that's the solution. Everyone's looking for a silver bullet. And the legislators will say the same thing. We can't legislate our way out of it. It's not as simple as simply having good laws. Now, we need those, because those are the tools that we put in the hands of law enforcement, right? So we have to have effective laws. But this problem has as much to do with cultural dysfunction as it does with, you know, constructing an effective legal framework. There's a lot more going on. It's deeper and more systemic. So as, and a lot of this is just, it's just my own journey. Years ago, I was at a conference 
I was listening to people talk over and over again. And this was a, a national conference, actually an international conference, and they were talking about how they were going to do just that. We were going to arrest our way out of it, and we were going to legislate our way out of it, and that was really the theme of the whole thing. And I was having these hallway conversations with different people, and we're all kind of scratching our heads going, it, it doesn't add up. And I'll never forget, I had one woman come up to me who was, a, she was herself a survivor. And, and she came up to me and, and she kind of poked her finger in my chest. She said, unless you get to the hearts of men, the best we can hope for is to get good at treating victims. And to me, that was a watershed moment. Unless you get to the hearts of men, the best we can hope for is to get good at treating victims. Justice is a heart issue. It's a heart issue. And the hearts of men are under siege by the enemy. Am I right? This is where the conversation gets a little difficult. This is where we have to, um, we have to, we have to acknowledge the elephant in the room. Anybody not, want to take a guess where I'm going with this? No one wants to volunteer. This is where we have, this is where um, if you think about it, and I guarantee this will happen as you process this and think through, okay, what does God want me to do? You're going to come up against this issue. It's porn. It's the struggle that I'm just going to say everybody in this room has wrestled with at some point in their lives, at the very least. This is where we have to acknowledge um, that elephant in the room. Now, there's more to say on this than we have time to say. I do want to mention, though, that today we're prepared to help direct you specifically to other resources that are right here in this community that, again, I think are some of the best in the country at helping you um, deal with this. Uh, but we don't have all the time we need to unpack this. So I just want to, I want to give you a couple of things to think about in reference to how it affects sex trafficking. One is this idea of normalizations. Porn has become normal. The literal meaning for the word pornography is, it's an old Greek word, is stories about prostitution. So pornography is, in a, in a very real sense, stylized prostitution. That's the, the narrative that's being told in pornography. And stories are powerful. In fact, whoever tells the best story generally has the most power, and, and porn tells a very, very compelling and powerful story, and it's everywhere. Am I right? You know, you used to have to work hard to find porn. Now it's right here. The world's largest adult bookstore is right here. It's become normal. So this whole thing of pornography has become normalized in our culture. That feeds in directly into sex trafficking. The second thing, second word to kind of um, tuck away is, is a word, it's called habituation. It's, it's rooted in the idea of habit. It's, it's to make you used to something. And so porn has become normalized. We are used to it and our children are growing up in this same world and they are becoming habituated. It makes boys and then men into rabid consumers and it shapes how they view relationships and it turns girls often, not all the time, into unwilling victims. They feel they have to somehow live up to that standard, that, that story that porn is telling. And so not only is it affecting us, it's affecting our children and our grandchildren. No one is immune. That's the bad news. Here's some of the good news. No one is beyond redemption. No one is beyond redemption. Your struggle, if this morning it is for you a struggle, your struggle may impact the way in which you engage this fight, but it does not mean you are useless. It does not mean there isn't something constructive for you to do to help fight this injustice. Hear me real clearly on that. 
I was talking with a, a, a friend years ago who was a retired Air Force colonel, a combat vet. And we we're talking about, you know, things that happened. This was kind of in a, in a church ministry context. We we're talking about things that happened to pastors, um, you know, and, and the whole idea of, you know, when, how do you know when someone is disqualified, you know, that, that term? And, and he goes, I, I don't know that it happens all that often. And he just related a story. He said, in combat, when you get injured, they pull you off the front lines. And he said, most of the time, they give you a chance to heal and rest up, and then they give you your gun back and say, go back to the front line. And I think that's the mindset that we have to have on this issue of sex trafficking. Yes, yes, there's a direct connection between pornography and trafficking, and yes, I understand that men struggle with it deeply, profoundly, but it doesn't mean that you don't have a role to play. So I want, to, I want you to hear me real clearly on that. Now, I heard a leader here locally say one time, it's a cancer eating our country from the inside out. And that is very true. But our illness, our sickness, our weakness is not an excuse for failing to fight for justice. And I think we have to hold those two things in tension. We may have a struggle with pornography. It may be very real and very immediate, but that doesn't... That doesn't uh, allow us to just say, well, I'm not going to fight for justice. In fact, one of the verses I, I remember memorizing as a kid was this, you know, to kind of keep yourself pure was this idea of fleeing immorality. I think it's First uh, or Second Corinthians, you know, where we're told to flee immorality. I used to think that that meant just running away from everything that even, that even, uh, you know, was a hint of, of, of sexual temptation. But what I've come to realize is there are real victims of that lust and, and that, that corrupted view of sex. There are very real victims. What about them? While I'm fleeing immorality, I'm haunted by the fact that I know there are very real victims that need someone to fight for them. So again, there's, there's a tension there. The bottom line here is that at some point, the gospel compels us to go on the offensive. It's really what it boils down to. One of our very first uh, members in Epic was a, um, he was a, um, a sex addict, recovering sex addict, had a, a very dramatic story to tell and almost lost everything. When we started Epic, he came to me, he goes, you mean there's actually something I can do? There's something redemptive and constructive I can do? I said, yes. And he goes, yeah, it's like, it's like all of a sudden, my whole life I've been playing defense, and now you're telling me I can actually go on the offensive. I said, yeah, there are ways to do that. So that's, that's the elephant in the room, and I, and I want to I just move a little bit quicker here. There's, there's a whole lot more that can be said, um, but let me, let me turn the corner. I want to give you some hope because there is very real hope here. And there's room and, and opportunity for all of you. Um, is there hope? Absolutely. I'm going to give you three reasons. The first reason is that men create the demand for prostituted people, but better men can end that demand. Um, that's the story of my life. I, have, I, I, I know these men. I've seen what they can do, and I'm going to show you here in just a little bit. But there, there are all kinds of opportunities for better men such as yourself. Second reason, you don't have to necessarily end demand. You could disrupt it. To change the culture that creates this situation will take the rest of our lives and then some. So I, I know that it's the long game. So where do we start? We can start by disrupting. So about three and a half years ago, I went to the district attorney in, in, in Multnomah County and Portland Police, and I said, if I could bring you a small handful of men, could we figure out a way that we could maybe um, increase your capacity and you know, support you in some way and, and maybe disrupt this market? And they said, yeah, I think we can do that. So we simply figured out a way to, uh, as Ron was uh, alluding to earlier, post fake ads online Selling sex, it's that simple. And rather than a young woman answering the phone with a pimp in the other room, I answered the phone. Really fun conversations. 
really, really fun conversations. And we've been doing this now for three and a half years. Let me, let me kind of break it down by the numbers, give you a sense of what's going on here. Um, we've had, uh, we have 165 men that are a part of this all around the country. That's currently in six cities with two more coming online this year. Portland obviously being the first. Three and a half years, like I said, um, more than 250 times these men in small units, in small teams, sat down and did just what I described. They, they posted fake ads and they took calls from buyers. And they attempted to have a conversation with them to talk to them about what this is doing uh, to their community. Um, more than uh, 750 ads have been placed. That's probably closer to 1,000. So, so, again, the scale of it is, is pretty significant. And it means 40,000 times we have disrupted the online sex market in three and a half years. 40,000 attempts to buy sex have been disrupted. 40,000 instances of one man trying to buy another human being we inserted ourselves in the middle of that transaction and said, hello, let's have a conversation. And it works. Let me show you what I mean. Unbeknownst to us, about six months before we started this, um, this program, there were some researchers in Atlanta that were measuring this thing called online purchase intent. And it's an um, online sales forecasting metric where they look at clusters of search terms, keywords, like you do a Google search, and compare those keywords to the sales of a, whatever product those keywords correspond to over time. So they, they use this. It's something that's very common in business, and they used it to measure keywords, a cluster of keywords around prostitution, escorts, hookup, you know, those types of things, to see the relative increase or decrease of those search terms in 11 cities, the blue line is represented is kind of an aggregate of 10 of the cities. The green line, and this is relative increase or decrease over a year and a half, the green line is Portland. We didn't know this was going on when we started. And then we did the math and we looked at when we started this particular cyber patrol. It says ABOG. Literally, that means a bunch of guys because these buyers would get angry with us and they'd say, who are you? And we'd say, well, we're just a bunch of guys. So the name kind of stuck. But you can see the, the, the impact here and the fact that this is something um, that you can, you can measure the effectiveness of it. Does it work? Yes. Is it perfect? No. Is it the silver bullet? No. But is it a way for a man to get involved? Absolutely. So we can disrupt the demand, um, but I, I want to give you what I think is the best reason uh, and, and the best reason for hope so far, and that is simply that, that um, most men, most men never buy sex. The best research that we've seen so far suggests that 85% of the men in this country don't ever do this, ever. 85% of them. That's hopeful. And I don't think that 85% of men are um, apathetic. I don't think they don't care. I think it's more likely that they just simply don't have the vision and maybe there's not a plan in place to get them involved. And maybe we, and we don't even need 85% of those men, even if half of those men got involved. This becomes, in my mind, this is my opinion, this is a winnable war. This is something that can turn around. How many of you are old enough to remember the, the, um, the television ads that talked about how four out of five doctors recommend a certain kind of cigarette? How many of you are, go ahead, go ahead, because we know by looking at you that you're old enough, right? There was a time in our culture, and my dad was a doctor, and he smoked. There was a time in our culture when that was considered really acceptable. Do people smoke today? Yes. Is it what it used to be? No. I think we're looking at the opportunity, and here's where the church is really critical. I think we're looking at the opportunity where that could actually happen in our lifetime. This is a winnable war. 
me give you one last picture of what this could look like when it's actually happening. And then I want to just lay out some things as far as where we go from here. And this is the ad if you want to take a look at it. What does the ad say? Looking for you. You looking for me? 19 years old. Are you aware that the average age of girls who get involved in prostitution is 13 years old? Yeah, it's, it, it seems pretty young. Most of these girls are forced into trafficking by pimps who take 100% of the money. Did you know that? No. This business is set up to fool men into believing that they're doing something harmless, but it's actually enslaving the girls that you're trying to contact tonight. And these girls are forced into this by pimps who take 100% of the money and control them with violence and drugs. The schools said anything about prostitution? Uh, yeah, well, you said you were responding to a call for Nina. I haven't done this before. Like, somebody few days ago was like, I look at the blog and that's how I found it. I'm not like used to this. I have girlfriend and stuff. So I'm okay. really sorry. Like, I just want to let you know that um, we have a, we talk to a lot of men, and a lot of them like to say that this is, this is their first time. And sir, I would just encourage you that when we get off this uh, when we get off this call, that you would have an honest conversation with yourself about whether or not this is your first time. You know, a lot of guys who are in this uh, business of calling for sex, trying to buy sex, oftentimes they have sexual addiction, and I can get you some contacts that can get you anonymous help. And I'd love to send you those links. And you're going to delete this number from all the track and stuff. I'm, I promise I'm never going to do this. Well, I, I appreciate your sincerity, um, but I'm not going to delete the number. The number is on file, but I'll, I, I can tell you this. If you don't ever call one of these ads again, you won't have a problem. But if you do okay. continue to call these ads and, and we intercept your phone number again, then you will go higher on the priority list, okay? Okay. All okay. Right. All right, well, thank you for your cooperation, and uh, have a better night, okay? Thank you. So like I said, I believe this is a winnable war, and this is just a snapshot of of what it looks like uh, in action. So, so where, where do we go from here? I want to give you, um, just as we wrap up, a couple of uh, on-ramps uh, for you specifically, and hopefully we have a little bit of time for questions. But um, one is I want you to consider uh, a couple of terms, um, disruption and prevention. Disruption has to do with um, things like what you just saw. Uh, prevention is more along the lines of telling people what's going on and giving them practical tools that they can use to, to protect themselves, their kids, students in the community, that sort of a thing. And, and groups like Shared Hope are excellent for providing those kinds of resources. But mostly what Epic does is disruption. We want to, we wanna, as, as our volunteers say, we want to poison the well. We want to make it so that a man trying to buy another human being for his own lustful purposes, slams into a brick wall, a brick wall of men committed to fighting that injustice. And, that, and that's, that's who we are. So there's two things that I want to offer you, um, actually three, uh, three opportunities that are, are very immediate. One is to join what you just saw in the video is just our cyber patrol. We have teams of men doing this every few nights all around the community. We love nothing more than to build more teams. It would be really easy, and I think this is a one way to look at discipleship, be really easy to take your small group and say, we want to do this once a month. And that's actually how a lot of our groups have gotten started, out of discipleship groups. So that's an opportunity there for you to engage as a part of a, of a unit, and we can provide training, and there's, there's, there's a whole process for that that's actually pretty streamlined. I want to invite you to do that. So if any of this is, is uh, of interest to you, obviously you can email me or, or you can call me directly or text. Text me is probably better, uh, better response time if, if you just send me a text. Uh, but I'm, I would love to, to talk to you more about that. The next thing is uh, a new initiative that we are launching Tuesday 
at 11 o'clock at the West End Ballroom uh, in Northwest Portland, not far from uh, Powell's. Uh, it's called PDX Best, and it is a, a program to engage the business community as allies in this fight. I, I want to invite you, if you're a business leader, um, to come. Come have lunch with us. You're going to hear from the leaders in the community on this issue, and you're going to learn about all of the things that are going on and how your business can get involved in the fight. So that's PDX Best. There's a whole bunch of things connected to that. I would love to have you just come and have lunch. If, if that's something you want to do, text me, and I will send you the invite, the online registration, and you can just sign up and bring a friend. So if, if you're interested in that as a business leader, um, do that. And then the, the third thing, knowing that we're kind of in the shadow of Intel and there's a lot of um, you know, tech uh, people in this part of the community, uh, we have built a, um, a team of guys, we just call them the Idea Lab, uh, or as I affectionately refer to them, they're nerd ninjas. And these are guys who think about how to leverage technology in this fight. And we have a growing team of them, and we're, we just have a kind of a regular menu of projects that come up. And we just say, hey, here's something to figure out. And these guys just get it done, whether it's doing data analysis or looking at new technology and figuring out ways to get it involved, to, to bring it into this fight. So that it's the Idea Lab. If that's something you're interested in, email me or, or send me a text message or give me a call. I'm here. I'm local. Uh, my priority when I'm in town is to, is to be able to, to meet, especially with, with men in the church. So I want to just extend that invitation to you um, as we close. I know we're probably long here, and I appreciate you um, just bearing with me. This is, a, this is a difficult issue, but it's a hopeful issue. It's a winnable war, not because there's anything uh, superhuman about us, but it is the power of the gospel at work in the lives of men that actually is making a difference. And I want you to be a part of that. So, Ron, I want to just give it back to you. I, I don't know if we have any time for questions or not, but I'll... Guys, we do want to honor your time. So if you have to go, feel free to go. Um, there are some resources out there at the table for you. Uh, John McDermott will be back there. But for those of you who have a little more time and want to stick around and ask some questions, Tom's willing to do that. Uh, Either way, Tom, we want to thank you for what you're doing, for being on the front lines of this, for calling men to this. Thank you very much. So if you have to go, guys, we understand. But if you want to stick around for some questions, Tom, we'll turn it back to you. And thank you, buddy. Yeah. Just, yeah, let's just do maybe one or two if we got, yeah. Yeah. That's a great distinction. A lot of times when people talk about sex trafficking, we think, yeah, it's moving them from one location to another, which is part of the definition. But the actual legal definition of sex trafficking um, means that you don't actually have to physically be moved. It's simply being forced to exchange sex for something of value. That is the definition. Yep. It's, it's, it is, I, I believe it is the same thing. It's being forced or coerced into giving that part of yourself for something of value. And, it's, and it is local and it is global. But thank you for bringing that up. That's a great uh, clarification. Yeah. Um, we've gotten better and better at that, but we call it setting the hook. Our opening line generally is, hey, are you calling for Mindy or whoever the fake person is? 99% uh, of the time they're going to say yes. And we say, she's not here right now, but it's important you hear what we have to say because your phone number has been captured and may be made available to law enforcement for follow-up. If we can get that out... Uh, we generally have a window of about, you know, 90 seconds to a couple of minutes to begin talking with them. So that's, that's how it happens. And we've gotten better and better over time. Our current, uh, I think our current record in talking to a buyer now is about 45 minutes. 
So it's, uh, that's why I said it's a fascinating conversation, and, and we tell our guys if they're talking to us, they're not buying someone else. So by all means, talk. Yes. So there is a um, there's basically a, a one day. It's actually probably closer to a half day training where we kind of unpack the the mechanics of how the system works and and the script is that's really the biggest part of it. We use a really dialed in script. Um, so so it's about a half day training and then you and then you're put on a team, and a lot of it is just learning uh, as you go. So we try to put people we try to mix experience with new guys on teams often to just kind of get them started so that's it's not a huge commitment our our guys that have been doing this now for a couple of years they um they're patrolling one, roughly once a month which is about a all together including travel might be a four-hour commitment once a month um and then there might be some um kind of mid-season training we call it as well so it's not a huge commitment but it is pretty intense and, and actually as you can see talking to these guys is something that requires some skill yeah No, we have not. We communicate really well with uh, local police, so they generally know when we're doing this. Um, so they're not, um, they don't call us, but we have, a, we have a direct connection with them. So if we encounter, like we've had pimps respond to our ads, and so we call police directly when we get one of those guys. So, yeah. One more question? Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah, and I want to say, too, and th thank you for being willing to stay. This is a learning journey. You may not be ready to just, you know, say, sign me up today, and that's totally okay. I'm just asking you to begin that journey today. And like I said at the beginning, think, listen, study, pray, and then ask God what he, what he wants you to do, and then do it. Um, we'll, we're, we're here. We're here for the long haul. And if I can help you along that way, I want to do that. Our volunteers are willing to do the same thing. Um, if you want to talk and kind of dig into this more. So, um, yeah, we do not directly. Um, there are, um, there are new, oh, I'm sorry. The question was, do we work directly with the victims? And, and we do not because there are already organizations that do a fabulous job of that. So we, we communicate really closely with them. Um, in fact, the script that we use when we talk with buyers was actually created by uh, survivors, by victims, just to make sure we're saying the, the right things. Um, but we, we refer any of those kinds of issues to like the Sexual Assault Resource Center uh, here in, in, the, in the area. So, all right, okay, one last Um, no, because we, we actually have a, um, a commercial grade, basically we built a call center platform. So the numbers, um, are only associated with the ads. They're not, you know, obviously we don't use personal, uh, equipment, uh, phones and that sort of a thing. So there would be no way for them to, to trace us. We mask our IP address so they can't physically locate us as, you know, as well. So. The phone, yeah, there's, there's hundreds of phone numbers that we use. So, yeah, it would be really difficult to, to track, you know, one of our guys down because they're not using their own phones. And the, and the locations are dedicated. We don't do this at home. We certainly don't do it in, like, Starbucks, you know. Um, that would be really awkward. Um, but we actually, we have, we have partner churches all around the area that, that actually house these patrol teams. Um, and it's, it works perfectly, so. You just made my day. <laughs> Could we set up a place here and a team here? Absolutely. That would be perfect. We have, we have teams in Beaverton. We have teams um, down south towards Lake Oswego and towards Salem. We have teams in Vancouver. We have teams in the central part. But, yeah, it would absolutely work really well and really easily uh, for that if, if you guys wanted to jump on board with that. So, and, and because we're close, I will tell you this. If, if, there, were, if there were a dozen men in this church that said, hey, I'm, I'm in, you know, a couple of small groups or something. Um, we, will, we will do the training and get you going uh, right away. We're, we've gone, you know, we've flown to Boston to train four guys. It means that much to us. Uh, but because we're here, if there were, you know, a couple of small groups that want to do it, 
we'll get you trained and get you going. Absolutely. So, all right. I'm going to, is there anything else I need to say? Thank you guys. I appreciate it. Thanks for sticking around.